With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are YWales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever you are in the world today. So today is February 21st. Uh, Bitcoin is, is suddenly deciding to continue to rise. We're at 24.5 and, and climbing. I think we almost hit 25 the other day. Um, and, and that's a really good thing. Um, you know, I, I never mind a, a little bit of a, a bear market. Um, I don't like the winters. They get they get a little lonely because no one wants to talk to us. Um, but I never felt that this was a winter. Um, this was clearly a bear market from valuations. But as far as kind of innovation, adoption, and and really just building in the space, uh, this has not been a winter. There is so much excitement over blockchain technologies. Um, there's a lot of issues, I, I would say, around regulation, uh, which we're going to kind of not dive too deep into today, uh, but really the concepts that we're seeing so much of, which is how do we onboard trillions and trillions and hundreds of trillions of dollars of digital assets onto various blockchains is the is like that's that's the goal um, that we want to move away from web 2 kind of you know uh, obfuscated uh, you know sheltered sheltered uh, servers that that have you know uh, one or two people controlling them to kind of this global decentralized ecosystem of blockchains um, and I think there's gonna be lots of blockchains not just not just one to rule them all but essentially you know interconnected the same way the the web is today uh, I'm really excited I've got two guests uh, with me one uh, Clifton is uh, our co-host for today uh, Clifton is a wide world advisor and Clifton would you mind giving a quick overview of uh, yourself and your background yeah awesome uh, thanks Jay uh, yeah Clifton or Cliff uh, Ertley uh, in Denver, Colorado, uh, sunny, about to snow here today. I've uh, been in the crypto space as an investor uh, for over a decade now. Um, so seen lots of booms and busts, uh, gotten rugged, gotten uh, cold storage, you know, hot wallets, cold wallets, all, all the, I've seen it all. Um, and really, really excited here today to uh, chat about security and tech and um, former programmer. I actually also have a engineering business on the side that focus in uh, electrical power infrastructure as well. So um, looking forward to talking about how to onboard, you know, traditional corporate America as well into crypto, uh, not just uh, DGENs like me. Awesome. Awesome. And that's why I bring out the big guns because uh, we have Omar here today uh, from Fireblocks and, and Omar is the head of all Web3 products uh, for Fireblocks. And so that means that basically if if they're thinking about it, have thought about it or going to implement it, uh, Omar is, is aware of that, correct? Correct. Fabulous, sir. Correct. So if you wouldn't mind, let's let's take a second and kind of go backwards a little bit and and talk through kind of your history of how you got here today. Um, and then we're going to absolutely do a deep dive into, into Fireblocks Tech today. Awesome. So first, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's very exciting and happy to be here. Um, so my background, I'm, I'm a little bit newer to uh to blockchain uh than cliff is uh so i started around uh 2015 2016 more is like uh you know this rumors going around about blockchain and what it is and kind of looking at the technology um i think i really got into it once uh kind of eth took off um mm -hmm. because uh again i'm as well a, fo uh, a former programmer 
um, you know, doing a lot of JavaScript. So I went to Solidity, obviously, as a, as a first choice um, and started messing around with like smart contracts. And I really liked it. At that time, uh, I was also, I had my own startup uh, that did real estate crowdfunding in the U.S., mm-hmm. Um, and so I dealt a lot with regulations and how private equity works and private equity investments into real estate. Um, and at that time, for some reason, I thought it might be a good idea to combine the two of them, uh, because when you think about it, private equity, what it suffers the most is about liquidity, right? And then like you have investors coming into the, to the space and, and they invest in like, I don't know, a ground up project in real estate. Um, and then, uh, you know, it takes time. Right. It's like a two, three, four, five year um, investment. And from if you onboard a lot of investors into those, uh, you know, SPVs, these special purpose vehicles, um, sometimes things happen. You know, statistically speaking, uh, a percentage of your investors uh, will always come in and say, oh, you know what? I mean, I really need kind of, you know, I need the money. Uh, I cannot wait for the um for the project to, uh, to kind of finish up. Um, and then we said, okay, what can we do in order to solve that? Uh, I mean, basically these real estate companies that, uh, that, that have investors dealing with investors, is not their core business. They, they're, they're good at like building buildings and, and, and dealing with the real estate and dealing with budgets, but all the, uh, you know, kind of all the interactions with the investors is something is of an overhead for them. Um, so we thought about going the route of actually doing, um, security tokens uh for the um you know lp shares of these spvs um so we built an entire system that tokenizes that those uh eh, you know tokenizes uh those lp shares into security tokens so that's where i like really got like you know messy with uh with blockchain technologies i do believe i I, I did back then, and I still believe that it's the future, um, but it's a little bit more uh, in, the, in the distance than I would. Uh, <laughs> the, the, yeah, and, and I'm know, sure you so. can give a, a quick, you know, a good overview on the difference between a security token and a tokenized yeah. security, which a lot of yeah. people very much confuse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, so a tokenized security in and of itself is an instrument that is already uh, established as security, have the entire infrastructure behind it, but all represented as a, a represented as a token. Usually, when we talk about that, it's mostly about um, these very, very standardly, you know, kind of a standard issue like you know bonds and and uh, things that are already have. Some somewhat of a liquidity, but you you tokenize those security in order to not necessarily enjoy the liquidity part, but actually the uh, save some operation overhead and may have it uh, as a more uh, um, efficient tool of uh, of exchanging uh, these these types of securities. A security token, by the way, is a general terms for is a general term for um, for a type of token that uh, represents uh, represents a, a security. And uh, they have different standards. You have different uh, different ways of approaching it. It can be basically anything. I mean, if you ask the SEC, it's probably everything. But you know, that will put aside. But uh, so uh, so for us, really, the um, what we planned was uh, to have it a, a seamless way to kind of uh, to kind of provide some some shape or form of liquidity. But if mm-hmm. you think about it, it's also pretty easy to kind of uh, let's say most of these. 
uh, one of the things that we learned is more, most of these uh, private equity, these LLCs are basically in a, in a way self-regulated and self-registered. So if like, see, if the LP shares switches hands, you actually need to keep it in an Excel sheet or something like that because you don't have to report each time like, you know, someone else actually takes ownership over these, uh, these LPs. So even managing like your cap table for the, uh, uh, for that instrument is pretty hard. And if you have like a, a system that actually you can click a button and say, you know what? Uh, by the way, this was before stable coins. Stable coins is a is a major thing that's in in the scene right now. Um, then think about it at the click of a button. You can issue like I don't know proceeds, revenues, uh, very easily without kind of you know to to your users' wallets without having all you know the overhead that's needed in order to wait. Did someone change hands? Wait, do we have the most updated list? Let's run through all our investors. Let's make sure we go over the contracts that is signed, you know, and uh, so on and so and forth. Sending emails back and forth, yeah, with various exactly. Dropbox links. Well, I don't have this data room, you know. So it's, I mean, to to me, even and again, you know, that was what brought me back into it um, was you know Ethereum and and you know EVMs and this idea of kind of this global computer. Um, because similar to your background, I've spent a lot of times with with you know kind of enterprise level ERPs. You know, these massive systems that that have you know were were designed in the seventies and eighties, and some of them are. are still in operation today. And so the, this concept that we have now of being able to, to take away some of the, the storage layer of this and some a little bit of the database layer as well and say, hey, APIs are, are cute, they're great, but they're never going to be able to scale the same way that blockchain can. Um, you're never going to be able to digitize, you know, Hundreds of trillions of dollars. If you still have, you know, these 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 regulated um, kind of bodies that are, that obscure what's actually happening and who holds what, and it turns into the GameStop mess, you know, because you're just everyone's guessing. There's there's no way to, yeah. to kind of deal with finality. Um, what was I, I what think? Was kind I, of, I would oh. say I would say just to compound on that. I think first of all, it's a it, so I agree with what you said. But if you think about it, like, what is the cost of actually, like, if you think about, like, integrated systems, right, you either have, like, a, someone keeping a global standard, um, mm-hmm. like a conglomerate or a group of companies that define a standard and make sure that everyone adhere to, um, a, and you, and by that they kind of delegate trust into other players within that system. So it's all defined by the standard. Here it's a little bit, right, with blockchain, it's a little bit different. You get that, in a sense, out of the box because uh, because it's decentralized. And by that you can, uh, again, it's not something new that I'm saying, right, but you can create this trust between parties that shouldn't be trusting each other uh, because there's some, uh, let's say, infrastructure between them um, that guarantees that uh, that trust. So I think that's like, you can say, okay, why do we need blockchain for that? Right. So that's kind of, um, the overall sentiment of like, okay, give me, why do we need blockchain for that? And I think one of, one of the things that it creates is it, it, it seamlessly creates that standard and seamlessly creates that trust. And it, the overhead of adding a new, uh, let's say partner or adding a new entity into that infrastructure. If you think about it, if it's not on blockchain, then that party needs to integrate with all the rest of the parties and they need to kind of, you know, vet them, understand. Okay. So the cost of actually adding is like tremendous in terms of like when it gets down to like scale and here we get that out of the box. That's kind of my, what I love about it. Well, and that, that, yeah. that's actually why I got involved over 10 years ago uh, in this space is I love the concept. If you guys have read, you know, uh, any Taleb's book of anti-fragility, you know, <clears throat> these monolithic ERP systems and banking systems and like the, you know, centralized structures are really, really great early on to create consensus and alignment. 
because you you have it all within one organization or one piece of software. But in the long term, that robust nature of that software actually builds up a lot of technical debt. And then it's very, very hard to switch. Um, and having like the anti-fragility of a system where individual companies or products or blockchains or tokens or whatever might fail, but not take the whole system down allows the system to kind of like reheal, learn from its lessons. And as a whole is much, much stronger um, than maybe just the sum of its parts. And so that like that decentralized nature and anti-fragility of, of crypto and Web3 is what got me involved, you know, yeah, so long ago. Yeah, it's fabulous. So, so I'd love to kind of pivot a little bit over to the like we we understand and I, and we can talk for hours about like the holy grail of of true blockchain ecosystems, you know, global financial infrastructure. And I think we're all there. Um, the, the conversation I want to start right now, and, and Clifton, I'll pivot back to you to kind of address the problem is that. I have personally spent, um, you know, four or five years trying to to help educate people on on custodying these digital assets, these digital tokens, these these NFTs, you know, you you name it. And and my first experience was, you know, back in early 2010. Prior to, there wasn't even a wallet. Somebody had to teach me how to download a, one of the Bitcoin nodes, log into the node. Um, you could see that that my my Bitcoin were there, and it was such a thing that I just never believed in. And we just threw away the computer, and it's gone. But but things really have not progressed that far, you know, in, in the 13 years since I did that, um, because you're still dealing with the very binary. It's it's a seed key. Um, and, and if anyone has that seed key, it doesn't matter what your compliance, doesn't matter what it is, you're, you're now exposed and you're gone. So, you know, Clifton, talk a little bit about, you know, your experience, cause you've been, you know, active in the space longer than me, you know, what it's been like to see the evolution of custody and also what it's been like to just, you know, so many stories of heartbreak of people that do know what they're doing that have just entirely lost, you know, a hundred percent of their assets, believing that, that this is you know, safe and secure. Yeah, what I, I mean, what I love about what you guys are doing is that we can try to solve these problems before people learn them the hard way. Um, you know, I personally, the, my, my saying is I've lost more crypto than I've, than I've made. <laughs> uh, I lost a lot in rugs and, you know, just doing wrong, you know, never, never gotten hacked, but I keep everything. I'm very fastidious. I keep cold storage. Um, I split up my seed phrases, protect myself against wrench attacks with, you know, uh, various means and methods that everybody kind of can. But at the end of the day, up until recently, it, it feels like it's a very rogue and independent, unless you're like a total security weirdo, um, you're really unable to do this well. And you're exposing yourself and your family or your business. You know, Jay and I know folks that have run, you know, corporate treasury management on on a ledger device, you know? And that's, I mean, that's that's a pretty... <laughs> You know, and, and how do you how do you deal with like the typical, you know, financial systems um, that you would build within a company for checks and balances and controls? It, it just doesn't ha hasn't existed. And then the last or the one thing I really want to get talking with you guys about is I love how you guys talk about the idea of like UX and usability being actually part of security. You know, it's not just arts and crafts, but actually developing intuitive UX can actually be a security asset. Um, and so I just think the ability of Web3 to integrate with, you know, corporate businesses like the one I'm sitting in right now um, and maybe less uh, technically savvy folks is going to be entirely based on building robust security and strong UX. And um, yeah, I guess I'd like to hear what your guys' thoughts are on that and how you guys think about those combination. So I would say there's a lot to unpack here. Um, and I would say you should definitely 
uh, take whatever means ne uh, necessary and available to you to secure your digital assets. That goes without saying. I'm just premising because I'm going to say something that might be considered unpopular just now. Okay. Um, I think up until now, the fact that it was so hard and so complex uh, to kind of start dealing with digital assets as it is in, as an individual might be considered actually a good thing because it's not like someone put a button in front of your, your face and said, oh, you know what, here, enjoy like this yield or enjoy like this uh, super cool thing that is going to appreciate appreciate like 10,000 uh, 10, times more, right? It was kind of conserved into, you know, kind of the technical savvy or the people that are not technical savvy but took the lengths to actually learn and understand what it means to create a wallet and to go and connect their wallet to like a DeFi protocol. So, it's not everyone, right? I mean, if we think about the market cap and who does that, it's a very small percentage of the world population. Um, and and I think it kind of helped crypto in a sense, because if everyone were onboarded and these rug pulls would have occurred, then we'd be in a much, much harder situation in terms of regulation, right? So there's there's a good thing to the complexity of low or the friction that happened up until now when we dealt with like speculative instruments, um, which was crypto, which is cryptocurrency tokens and DeFi, right? I mean, that's kind of what mass mastered like the last, you know, 10, 10, 10 to 12 years. Um, and, and now we're, so, so there's a good thing. There's a positive side to it. Now this is for individuals, businesses on the other hand, right? Um, when they're looking at, right, they have like a, probably a CFO, someone that deals with treasury, they are used to dealing with the traditional financial system. They're used to dealing with banks. Banks are not just a place where you store your money. Bank gives you a lot of different features like, a, right, like insurance, like security, like, you know, financial instruments that they, that are given by the bank. So that's what they're dealing, right? They have this, an, an entire set of tools. It's not just, okay, can you hold my money for me? And, and that's it, right? So they're used to like an entire set of tools. And there's, there's this, uh, um, I would say a, a, a notion or this a sentiment that, you know, a bank is a super secure place and, uh, and nothing can happen. And if something does happen, then you're insured. What there is no equivalent basically of that in the crypto space. And also, uh, again, what we argue at Fireblocks is, you know, you should hold your own, you should hold your own assets, right? I mean, you're not compromising any one of those features when you hold your own assets, right? It can be insured. It is as secure. You can write, uh, you can uh, uh, set as many policies as you'd like over that and then adhere to any policy that you have internally in terms of treasury, uh, you know, fi financial and, and treasury operations. The same thing that you do with like, you know, with fiat, you can do with digital assets. You don't need another counterparty risk of another player actually owning your money. And then like, if something happens, not that anything happened, right? I mean, uh, everyone's good. All the central exchanges are, are great, but uh, <laughs> um, it, so so I'm, I'm saying you you don't need to compromise. So that's what I'm saying. Like you can have top notch security, the best security, and then and then also own your own assets, which is part of what we're advocating in this space, right? Is blockchain? It's like don't don't let anyone else uh, custody your assets, custody themselves doesn't go for everyone and there are merits to also exchanges obviously uh, but i think that's kind of how i would differentiate it if you're an individual do the do the research do the work you're probably one of like 
a hundred or like 75 people that, that would actually go through with it and invest funds. And there are risks. And even for the most advanced users, you know, that you're not, no one comes into crypto and says it, there's no risk, right? I mean, I'm totally safe. Like, uh, so you, so you haven't been on the safe moon. You haven't been on the safe moon subreddits recently. Obviously. <laughs> Um, and then, but then as a business, you have responsibility, you have responsibilities to your customers, you have responsibility to your investors, you have responsibilities to your employees, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to take any measures, uh, like with any vendor, um, that you, that you onboard with any, a uh, operation project that you want to support, you have to do as a business, be responsible, um, and make sure that you have the right solution in the right place. Yeah, you bring up a great point. <clears throat> you number one, I, I have gone through you know all the cycles of I hate banks. Oh my god, they're driving me crazy. I want to be in crypto so I can just deal with my own things. To now I'm dealing with my own things. I miss the bank because I don't want to deal with my own things because it's really hard and I'm constantly having to worry about it. And every time I hear about a new hack or there's like and it's every day or there's a bridge that's now been hacked and it's nothing I even did wrong, but now the bridge that I used you know six months ago is is now been exposed. And so it's just it it feels, feels very much like the early web one days, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with like Napster and a bunch of, you know, early peer to peer stuff. And it's like, you didn't know if you're getting, you know, the, uh, the new Madonna song or, or your viruses, viruses going to wipe your computers in the next few minutes. And, you know, that's all okay. When I'm talking about my personal funds, like I'm, I have, I have a responsibility to myself and my family to, you know, kind of make good decisions. And if I want to be a little bit more on the risky side of custodying my own, my own funds or leaving on an exchange, that's for me. When you're talking about a business, um, now I have a fiduciary responsibility of which I am, you know, legally, um, you know, need to make sure that I'm seeking out the most cost effective and the most, you know, secure means of, of holding investor, um, investor funds as well as employee payroll and everything else. And, and that's where I just suddenly raise my hand and say, nope. Not, not going to do it. And so I can say as a disclosure, you know, why whales? We we did a very long due diligence path that we went through. You know, everyone's got uh, opinions and thoughts, you know, from, hey, just get a Genosis wallet. It multi-sig works great uh, to some various competitors. And we ultimately landed on Fireblocks. Um, and I will say, you know, the setup and onboarding process for Fireblocks is, is intensive. Um, it required not just a couple phone calls, not just sign up online, but it was multiple Zooms, had to engage out, out third-party security experts um, to be able to kind of really get everything set up. And it gives you so much better appreciation for the way this should be. Now, these are enterprise solutions. And so I'd love you to kind of, you know, Omer, if you can kind of walk through that onboarding process that I did a bad job describing of what that is, because I think that most people aren't quite aware. This isn't just a UI that you're plugging in over wallet. This is, you know, enterprise grade security that I think is, you know, on par with some of the largest banks in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. First of all, yes, I think the largest bank in the world. Uh, so, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, BNY Mellon is is our is one of our customers, and we built the entire like uh, digital asset custody for BNY Mellon. You can. I'm not disregarding Jay. No, no disrespect for a uh, right for your for you and your team. Uh, BNY set a, st- a slightly uh, higher standard in terms of like how the how you run security. Um, but I think overall, I think it's very important to to stress out this. Um, obviously, we could have taken a route of like you know do it your do do it by yourself. You know, have it self serve. We're here to help if you need any help. But I think. One of the things that uh, characterizes Fireblocks is that we really, um, we really appreciate our customers 
and we really might want to make sure they're successful. And they can be successful in a various, various different ways, right? We run all the way from, again, traditional banks um, to, a, a, to the more advent, you know, to the more modern, you know, hedge funds, prop trading, um, you know, VCs uh, that deal with digital assets all the way through fintech, um, you know, B2C companies that, that run on our uh, infrastructure. So um, the process is very, you have to understand where your customer is coming from and how they see success. And in order to uh, make sure that they achieve that success, you need to make sure that you're, do- you're giving them the right guidance and the right education in order to do that on top of our platform. Um, so it's important that uh, we understand that, you know, how, how are their vaults structured? Uh, a vault is, uh, from a Fireblocks perspective, is basically you can think about it like a folder that holds all your uh, on-chain addresses or your, all, all your on-chain wallets, basically. Um, so you can organize it in folders. Um, then you, can, you need to decide, okay, which actions can I take on those, uh, on those wallets to where, by whom, who needs to approve, do I have limitations, um, do I restrict it by daily volume, do I restrict it by the type of assets, do I restrict it by the destination that it goes through. Um, so all of that, and Fireblocks has already transferred more than, I think the, the, relevant, the relevant now number is like over $4 trillion worth of like digital assets on its platform. We need to make sure that all of that is safe, secure, and adheres the, uh, the policies uh, of our customers, right? So, yeah. And even if they don't have those policies set in place, new businesses, right? Um, then we help out. We give best practices, right? This is the way. But sometimes the, the personnel is different, right? The structure of the actual company is different. So you need to make sure that not only do you employ the best practices, but you also kind of craft it towards how uh, that specific business looks like and how it operates, right? That's yeah. why it's more intense, right? In the sense of, oh, take the keys and, uh, you know, kind of start the car. Uh, yeah, no and let's, let's, take a, let's, yeah. let's take a second and unpack for the audience because I think, you know, this is to me going to be one of the most impactful podcasts that we do this quarter because, you know, most of our, our clients are business focused. And so, you know, everyone that runs a company, you've got your accounting department, you've got your CFO and, and you know, VP of finance and everyone else. And and if you think about, you know, what what occurs on a daily basis there, you, you can have, let's just say you have 10 people in that department. They all have various levels of access to various accounts. They can do various things. And they all have to be able to do their job. Um, what you can't have is like one dude with a with a wallet, you know, that's like, parsing out funds to, and I've seen that, and I'm not joking, I've seen this, where the, the the CFO has the main wallet, all the other people have like their own little wallets, and they're just transferring money back and forth all day, and it's kind of on a, you know, like, hey, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll settle it at the end, it's blockchain, it's secure. That's not how enterprises work. It's very, you know, they're, they're, the inability to put in rules, to do timing, to say, hey, anything over, you know, $10,000, like, Give me a give me an hour to make that decision if that's really there. Let's go ahead and send some words. You know, Clifton, you run a, 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 a you know a couple a couple businesses. You know, define kind of what it would take for you to incorporate you know true you know cryptocurrency uh, assets in, in place of a traditional bank. Yeah, because I, I imagine a lot of your enterprise customers that come in that are not like prop trading shops or like you know you know Web three traders. You know, you have an ambassador like me who might say, "Hey, I want to bring my business to Fireblocks." But then you have a whole litany. Yeah, certainly the finance department, which is the primary, you know, stakeholder for, you know, 
the custody and treasury management, but you have HR for payroll and you have your legal counsel for like, you know, understanding risk and exposure. And then you have your IT and information security folks, because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the IT infrastructure and engineering behind that, they're accountable for. And so, you know, a lot of cases, you guys really have to almost look at like, it's like a Fireblocks Web3 101 class for like the people that we're bringing on board. Uh, because they've heard me talk about it enough. They don't want to hear it again from me. Like, um, so like, yeah. how does that education of the non-Web3 savvy folks that are going to administer these systems look like? So again, it's a very, I would say, generally speaking, it very much depends, right? You don't come to a business out of the blue and start education, educating them about digital assets. They have to have at least some sort of interest in it because otherwise it's going to be a very, very long sales cycle. They need to go through a, a various hoops, um, in order to do that. So if you really want to onboard like uh, the less savvy in the digital asset space, you start with something. You start with a POC. Say, hey, don't go straight ahead and, you know, automate, like, you know, transfer your entire business into, you know, blockchain, you know, DLT, blockchain technologies and, uh, and digital assets, right? Let's pick and choose. Let's take part of your business and let's see how it can, one, make it better, two, um, have you guys onboarded into like what it means, get you comfortable with the, with, with how this assets behave, um, and what needs to be done in order to secure them. Right. So you don't go straight away on the, like an entire overhaul of their like a treasury system. Um, and, and by that, obviously you always need a champion within those, yeah. uh, within those companies that really believes and uh, is persuaded that digital assets, if you're, let's say most of the time is if you're not at least experimenting with digital assets, then your competitors might be, and then like they they might leverage it in order to gain some sort of uh, a unique advantage over over you, right? So even dedicating very small amount of resources to kind of do the onboarding might be uh, a good decision from uh, from your space, and at least you're acting from knowledge and not uh, and not uh, not and not basically not acting out of fear or out of misunderstanding of the space, right? So you learn, you experiment, you do a POC, it might fail, it might not succeed. But then at the end of the day, you say, I tried, I understand. And then next time around, I'll be smarter uh, to implement it as part of my business, right? So it's always like these baby steps into, into this field and make sure that you have like something very concrete that you want to test out. And then we come in, we help you test it out. It, again, it might not succeed, but at least... You, you, you're more knowledgeable than you were, and your organization is more knowledgeable than it was before. In in general, what would you say are some examples of like dipping that toe? Because obviously, you're not going to start with payroll. That's people's lives and, and things no. like that. Um, so, what are some examples that you've seen uh, work well for folks that are trying to step their way into Web three? So, if you think about, let's say, if you're a, if you're an international company, so cross border payments um, within your companies is something that is super super uh, interesting. So, currently within the you know international bank system, um, actually transferring um, you know transferring funds between a one country and the next is one expensive, two takes a lot of time. So, if steady steady um, uh, transactions, then most of the time what happens is like, okay, I'm going to do it only once a week because it's such a headache. Um, it'll take probably around three to four days. Um, and, you know, I'm going to pay a lot for it. And if you do cross-border payments, even a small amount of cross-border payments with crypto, then we can get up to, it will take probably 
12 minutes end to end, like from the moment that it's fiat on one side to the moment that it's fiat on the other side, right? So having like cross-border payments uh, in a, in integrated into your business is rather simple. Um, it's a, probably be a small scale. Again, you don't have to transfer all these funds, right? So you can choose, okay, I'm going to do only 20% right of my uh, of my cross-border payments on crypto rates let's see how it goes if it's great then we might take it up to 50 and then 70 and then 100 percent um but it's a good it's a good thing now it re- very much depends right this is if we're talking about actually not necessarily a financial business but uh, on the non-financial side is right if i want to start with something i can also start with okay i'm, I'm a brand i have very a uh, you know a large customer base Maybe we will roll out some small size loyalty program uh, based on a, some sort of a, a crypto experience, right? The blockchain experience. Um, and this is what we've seen from, you know, the larger brand like, you know, Nike, Adidas, mm-hmm. Starbucks. Um, and they started out way back with something, um, you know, very nice from a marketing perspective, did, did a lot of splash. But if you think about that compared to like their core business, it's exterritorial small kind of you know dipping your toe into like this uh, into like the space gauging it um i so so not so so on any front you can you know kind of dip your toe um uh, with something that's a little bit exterritorial to like your core business or is a uh, is a small part of your actually your financial or treasury uh, interaction and, and I and I love the the concept you're saying, you know, because I gave an example of you know the, the what everyone thinks of cryptocurrencies, which is the finance department. And Clifton and, and Omer, you guys did a great job of making sure to be clear, like this is every department in your business will be touched by Web three and blockchain technologies. Um, your your marketing department, which is, and I, I love everyone in the marketing department. I get it, but but generally they're not designed to handle you know assets that have you know can have large amounts of value. They're there to defend a brand. They're there to build a brand, <clears throat> you know. And most of the things that they're giving away are truly given away. But when you start talking about loyalty programs, like you are, uh, Omer, is like if American Airlines lost control of their points and they just suddenly went out to, you know, suddenly they got, they were minted more or, or sent out to, to the wrong people. Like that pr- entire program goes up in smoke and guess what stock, what happens to the stock price? I guess what happens to the investors? Like it's a disaster. And, and that's what we're kind of on the cusp of right now is that we hear all these loyalty programs and Hey, you know, we want video games to move over here. The problem is, is that because we're turning these into, you know, monetizable assets in, in a way, and it may not be even thought of, you know, like Coca-Cola points are designed to be fun, but they do have a real world value to someone else. They're being sold on, on you know, eBay and, and other places every single day. And now we're making it easier for that to happen. We can put some controls in. But the point being is that having a, a really clear unified system that your entire company is working on from finance to marketing to HR you know, makes it so much simpler um, versus, you know, passing out 200, you know, wallets and, and, you know, then you've got some dude running around trying to audit these things every single second. Yeah. I I mean, I I totally agree with that. I think, but that goes to show. So I, again, a hundred percent agree with what you said. Um, I think what uh, the sentiment that's going on right now and what is often missed um, by some of these big brands is when you're tokenizing, you're not just tokenizing that asset. You're not just token tokenizing like that, you know, piece of where you're not. You're actually putting some of your brand equity and your IP on chain, right? If something is if something affects that, if it's compromised, if it's lost, if anything happens to that, first of all, 
the crypto community will be all over you in like one second. Um, and, and second of all, it will leak out right to the rest of the world. It's like, it, it will make you look, I guess, bad. So I think, and again, you know, shameless self-promotion, but I'm saying that uh, um, security needs to be taken account, not taken into account, not only on the, you know, assets that you hold, not only on the uh, ETH and Bitcoin and, uh, and even the high value NFT that you, that you own, is about your IP, which is, let's say, the smart contract, the token contracts and things like that, to not be compromised um, because they hold, one, the, the entire potential of that specific endeavor or that specific project, right? If a, if a, if a token contract gets hacked, then basically you, don't, you, you didn't lose the value of the assets that were minted. You also lost the future value of all assets that could have been minted by that uh, by that token contract. And second of all, it's your IP, it's your brand name, right? So you lose a reputation. Um, so I think that's important to know that um, that there is there is a, a a concern here that needs to be mitigated and uh, and should be taken into account. It's not just, hey, let's hire this agency. This agency will do everything for me. Hmm. Uh, they're a small studio. Oh, we just need that NFT drop, right? I mean, just, you know, <laughs> draw some monkeys. I don't know. Toss them around and, uh, and we'll be, and, and we'll be uh, great. I mean, it really needs to be uh, well thought of. Um, and even when you're choosing vendors, it's important to choose the right vendor. And even when you do that, the, this is, I say, to all these kind of types of players, you need to have a strategy and you need to have a hypothesis. I mean, it's not a, if you build it, they will come. It's a, a, a type of situation where you say, I want to test a specific thing. I want to test user engagement. I want to test retention. I want to test brand awareness. And I'm going to, I know how to monitor that. This is the success metrics that I'm going to do for that POC. If I achieve those, what then? Like, okay, we're successful. Now what? What's the long-term strategy? How is, does that um, kind of portray where we are at this first step? So don't go blindlessly into like some hype. Just make sure that it's aligned with like your overall, like your long-term strategy and that you take this, the necessary steps in order to make that happen. I love that. So Omer, if you wouldn't mind, talk to me about <clears throat> the security side of what you guys do. And, you know, obviously don't, 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 do a Doquan and, and reveal everything. But, you know, the concepts of like a C key is a C key. And, and as long, and if you do truly have that secured and no one can see it, you know, no, to date, no one has been able to break those, those, uh, you know, getting around that C key. So we do have a good plug. Like we can stop things there. The problem is it's very binary. It's either you get it all or you get nothing. And, and that right. doesn't, you know, we've already kind of gone through that. That doesn't work. So talk to us what you're putting on top um, or in between that seed key and the user and, and experience. So, yeah, so it's totally, basically it's a totally, totally different paradigm. Um, so it's not, so the single point of failure is actually the private key, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if you said it at the beginning, someone takes my private key, he owns my funds, right? So a private key is the single point of failure. What Fireblocks does is eliminates that single point of failure. So at no time, even during creation, the private key is whole in one place. Um, not during creation and not during signing, right? So basically what happens is it's being created in three different, what we call key shares, right? Uh, each key share, um, uh, so the, each key share represents basically a part of the private key, although again, it was never whole in one place. Um, and each time that a, a transaction needs to be signed, each private key, each key share, a signs 
itself and together just the signature they're like a signature of the entire private key so not only uh, does the private key not exist in one place also the uh, because we use uh, zero knowledge proofs and uh, again it's called the, what we call the mpc cmp so like it's mm-hmm. mpc stands for multi-party computation cmp stands for the initials of the uh, people that wrote the document wrote the the um, uh, the article, the, the scientific uh, uh, article about it, which uh, two of them uh, work within the company. Um, so, so basically, um, multi-party computation is a, a a term that is used that that is used to portray a situation in which n different party, like or x different parties, um, they can do prove some sort of calculation without revealing actually what they hold, right? And that can be then verified and approved. So the same logic is same same type of uh, logic is uh, applied to uh, to crypto. So basically, each one of those shares, let's say I have a share, Jay, you have a share, and Cliff has a share. Uh, we do some mathematical calculation. We each sign our own share. Together, that signature is like the signature that uh, would have been done if the entire private key would have signed. So then you don't have a single a single point of, uh, of failure. No one has the private key. If uh, you know worst case scenario, you have a disaster recovery kit. You can actually pull all the shares together, and then for the first time ever, calculate the private key out of that. Uh, but that's if you kind of you know. Uh, it's a, this and it's, is for, that's a very big process. That's not a like hey no, I gotta I gotta mint a, no. an NFT real quick. Let's get this done because exactly. at this point I've got laptops and like three points of the earth. <laughs> That's, Correct. Um, so you know, are very spread out. So, so uh, uh, the next step is basically what is kind of how it is uh, uh, how it is managed. Um, so, two of those. So, we have three key shares. All three key shares need to uh, to sign. Right. That's why it's called a three out of three. You have uh, all of them needs to sign. So then, two of those are uh, managed in different uh, in different cloud platforms over like a very very robust and very uh, secure technology called SGX by Intel um, and you know it's, it's, it's what we call a secured enclave um, and and they're kept in like different servers different geographical locations for each one of our customers and then the third one sits with our customer basically so what does that mean it means that we can never act on behalf of our customers if the customer doesn't sign actually sign with his key share nothing gets executed it cannot be executed on you know uh, by design uh, and on a mathematical level okay um and then uh, what we can do on top of that is basically tell our customers and this is where the policy comes in hey you can define in which uh, uh, on which transactions uh, the uh, the part of Fireblocks will sign a transaction, right? So, like, okay, you tell us, you know what? If it goes through, if it goes to that specific destination, let's say it's like a, a wallet address that is known to be malicious, you can actually put it on a deny list or something of that sort, and then each time that a transaction will come in and say, "Oh, I want to transfer like ten ETH to that destination, to that address." it will be immediately dropped by the policy, right? So, and then you don't even get a chance to sign it because uh, you define the policy as such that you will not be able to do that, right? And that is basically made, uh, uh, we're able to do that because the way that we utilize MPC um, for the for the uh, key management solution, right? So that is a very core 
uh, of the Fireblocks offering. And then on top of that, you can do also a lot of different different things. But uh, let's see, Let, let's see where it goes. But uh, there are a lot there are a lot of things to cover. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and and I can speak a little bit from experience on this. You know, to me, I I have once once it's up and running, and that's that's when it's you know you've gone through the onboarding process, which is intensive and designed for you know enterprise level solutions. It's not designed for you know a dude that's got you know one Bitcoin and, and mm-hmm. 0.5 ETH. Um, but but I can say that that from you know once you you're up and running and you understand it and your team has been onboarded, it functions very, very well. It's never stopped us from being able to do anything. It's it's never slowed us down. It feels like a very efficient workflow that that feels just like any other banking workflow that we use because we have multiple traditional banks. Um, where it starts to feel a little different is, is, you know, like I had to upgrade my phone. Um, and when I upgraded my phone, um, you know, I'm one of one of I'm not going to disclose too much here, but I'm one of the the authorizers on on certain types of accounts. And because of that, I had to re I had to go re KYC back in. Um, I could not, you know, just even though I had authentication codes and everything else, like I know all my stuff and where to get it. Um, you know, Fireblock said that's great, but this is a new device. You're you're a critical piece of the infrastructure. No, you you're gonna have you specifically have to re-KYC, and I was traveling at the time, and and so it just goes, hey, payments are waiting until Jay gets back because Jay in Mexico is not allowed to KYC until he's back in an IP address range that, that is normally compliant with his office. So there is some amazing little things that you guys have done that I don't, you know, I, I'm sure that there's some best practices out there that you picked them from, but, you know, I, I'm going to put it over to Clifton. And I always ask this question, um, you know, what does it take to put your treasury on chain? And, you know, I, people all the time, you know, say, you know, hey, why don't you just put it all on there? And I was like, because it's not safe, it's not secure. How, after hearing, you know, uh, Omer talk about it, you know, do you start to feel confident that it can just sit in, in, a, in a seed key or in a, in a vault um, with Fireblocks? Do you feel it can confidently sit there and not, and not be a target? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think, something I'm talking with my CFO about is for us is moving the kind of like our rainy day fund or strategic fund that we might use for M and a that might just be sitting in a money market making a 10th of a percent right now and yield farming with a percentage of that, um, you know, not going getting Terra Luna or doing any sort of like crazy yield farming, but just getting, a, you know, a decent return on USDC or any other, like, you know, maybe non, non-crazy stable coin or maybe find a good stable pair, um, you know, ETH USDC or something like that, yield farm on Uniswap. I think that's where we would probably start, minimize transactions. We wouldn't be having to set up a lot of those vaults and permissions and things like that and would be able to slowly dip our toe. Um, and that's where I see us at least starting. Um, and I think that's probably where a lot of, because we're not a financial, we're engineering services. We build infrastructure. Um, we're not sending international payments. Um, and so for our, our, our AP side of the business is pretty simple, um, other than payroll, which I would never move to crypto, not, not for a very long time. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I think about it, but I did want to say, um, just for the listeners that are not MPC or tech savvy, I love MPC and all the other like zero knowledge proof stuff that's coming out, but can you explain multi-sig versus MPC for, for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So one of the key advantages, so let's talk about what multisig is, right? Multisig is basically, um, you can take a bunch of wallets, right? Each one with his own uh, private key and, and seed phrase. And you can, have a tra- you can have a transaction go through a smart contract and then 
all these uh, other wallets need to sign uh, to sign that on that transaction in order to approve it right so basically uh, it it can resemble the effect of like MPC because you can say oh you know what I need two out of these three wallets I know that these two wallets belong to uh, you know some member of my organization and, th- and they need to sign it right and you can draft like on the smart contract exactly what are the thresholds we need to sign if there's a single approver things like that that you can also do with MPC so but the fact remains that even on multisig if it's not by the way and they're not mutually exclusive like one of those uh, one of those wallets can be on MPC right I mean uh, the ones that need to sign uh, on multisig but Think about how costly a transaction is on a, on multisig, right? Because you need to sign a transaction, and if you have like five people that need to sign, that's another five transactions that need to uh, that, that need to happen uh, in order for that single transaction to actually occur. Also, if you want to um, if you want to provision new wallets, right, uh, then it's also very costly. With MPC, what can, you can you can do basically take all that and put it off chain. Um, so even creating a wallet is, uh, is done off chain. You even creating like the address is done off chain. It's calculated. And then only once it becomes active, you actually start paying for, you know, gas fees and so on and so forth. So, and then the entire authorization mechanism is completely off chain because it's not reliant on on chain wallets. It relies on those key share that I just say uh, that I, that I just explained. So that's kind of the major, um, uh, differentiation. Um, I think multisig does make sense um, in the sense of like um, what we see with Gnosis Safe. Um, so like a DAO um, that, you know, you have many different individuals that uh, need to make decisions on a, let's say on a abstract business entity um, and they're not re- uh, related by any other means. So they don't get paid by the same company. They're different individuals. So it makes sense to have because they utilize their own wallets in order to approve or deny transactions that are being taken care, that are being take, initiated by an entity that they all relate to. Uh, but if you're a business uh, in that sense, then in any case, you're an entity, right? In any case, you have a, a, a professionals within your company. It makes sense to uh, to go more on the MPC route uh, and not the multisig route. Gotcha, gotcha. Amazing conversation, Clifton. Thank you so much for the time. You know, right off the bat, and and Omer, the 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 insights and kind of knowledge that you're bringing to this team is just amazing and fabulous. And and again, as a user of Fireblocks, this is what allows me as a CEO of a of a Web three company to sleep at night. We hold a significant amount of funds, uh, not just in traditional fiat, but also in uh, we're only USDC. So I mean, where there's there's nothing else that we really have there. But but just that one currency being on chain, um, there's no bank that can manage it. There's no traditional institution. You know, it, it it's really a, a massive need um, in the industry. But Clifton, as we kind of come come to a, a close here, what was your your kind of biggest takeaways and, and thoughts from this that that you're going to bring back into your own company, as well as advice that you're going to start giving out? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just been cool to see Firebox grow <laughs> from a market cap and like being able to serve uh, business owners like myself. Um, and for me, the the onboarding and education uh, for my staff to hear how robust it is um, and the putting security first. I mean, Jay, your story about not being able to sign a transaction in Mexico because you got a new phone. You know, I think I'd actually 
prefer that to yeah. um, to getting hacked. And so I really, really appreciate that that thought and the fact that you guys are still building and building out really cool products and features. We didn't even get to talk about third party integrations, but that is another like really cool um, thing. So yeah, I think it's an opportunity for corporate America and corporate world, uh, traditional enterprises to, you know, slowly start dipping a toe into web three. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure we'll have uh, Omer onto a, a deep dive so we can do an unrecorded, uh, full, full no holds barred onto where, where this is going to not. But Omer, as we bring this to a close and we've talked about a lot of concepts, um, I, I really want to pivot over to you as, as a professional in the space. Um, you have access to, you know, some of the, the top professionals and, and, you know, data scientists on the planet. Um, what are just your thoughts about where this industry is and where it's going? Um, no financial advice. <laughs> yeah, no financial advice. I'm actually going to focus on the non-financial, actually. Um, but uh, I think what we've seen up until now, and I mentioned it, um, and what, what interests me is that we've seen like up until now, a lot of uh, tools being built on top of this technology, mainly for kind of a trading speculative, um, which is great. That's, you know, kind of first use case was, okay, let's build an economy. Um, and then a and then building the tools to um, to kind of service that economy. I, I always like to say that, yes, it's painful, right? I mean, people get hacked, people get, uh, Cliff is getting uh, rugged. Um, and, uh, and, but these are all kind of learning, uh, learnings and iterations. I mean, think about it, what, this uh, what DeFi uh, has achieved in like, you know, the, the, the last two, three years going through such rapid, rapid iterations of like testing new ideas and, and uh, implementing on that failing or succeeding. Um, and it went through so many iterations within such a short amount of time that this is basically why I love this industry. Where we're seeing it take off now or what we're, we think would be kind of the next thing is that, okay, so how do I take that and apply that to normal day-to-day -day usage, which is not necessarily financial, right? I mean, so I, I mentioned loyalty programs, but uh, like utilities over uh, NFTs, there are companies doing NF tickets, um, disrupting industries uh, of like, I don't know, airline tickets or so companies like TravelX. Um, and uh, it really, really cool ideas from uh, from that part, but also community building from the other hand, which is more, again, as, I've, as we've talked about a little bit on the marketing and the ecosystem that it uh, that it builds, like the amount of startups of new startups that are entering that space, is completely astonishing. Um, and how they treat that and building that ecosystem and the suite of products that needs to be used and the tools that are being built, for me, that's the most interesting. And this is where I think uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of growth, exponential growth over the next like uh, two or three years, is um, products that are built, um, you know, in Web3 on-chain, uh, incorporate on-chain capabilities. We might not even know that they incorporate on-chain capabilities. That's where kind of the UX meets kind of the, you know, Web2 meets Web3. Um, but then uh, it will affect everyone, right? If it's, if, it's a, if it's a really cool game, if it's like how you buy tickets, if it's how artists get royalties, um, all uh, the creator economy, this is kind of where we think it's uh, going. 
Yeah, and and I really want to echo a little bit of that as well. I mean, to me, it's it's so valid and it's so important to be talking about the way you you are. Um, nobody goes on you know Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and cares one bit about you know where it's hosted. All they care is that the data that they put up there is the same data that they, that is there day after day, and that they can see compliance. And if every time they logged into Twitter, their own account was all messed up, everything was always you know fooling around. They'd be like, these guys don't know what they're doing, and they're going to move on. Yeah. And and we're still in that kind of phase right now where people are like, I don't know what to, you know, how to use this technology. It, it, is a JPEG really worth millions of dollars or is it just a key that accesses, you know, some utility down the road? And so the most important part and, and where I really applaud Fireblocks and you can see it in your guys' valuations um, is that no matter what you're storing, no matter what you're building, no matter what it is, custody is one of the biggest challenges. I say I say over and over and over, um, Web3 has a lot of issues. Uh, bridges and wallets are two of the largest ones. And, you know, we're not going to get anywhere if custody, if everyone has to feel like they have to escape back to fiat, back to the bank every time there, there's an issue. We need to feel secure that on-chain is is just as secure, if not better, than in that account. So I really... Um, you know, applaud everything you guys are doing, how you're working on it. And, and there's a lot of choices out there. There's, you know, Firebox isn't the only game in town. Um, right. It's the one we chose and, and it's the one we're choosing to highlight here. And, and uh, you know, love that. Clifton, any final thoughts as we head out? No, I appreciate the time, Jay and Omir. It's been a great chat with you guys. Fabulous, Thank guys. Thank you so much. Anytime. Why Wills, uh, this is uh, Clifton and uh, Omer from Fireblocks. We really appreciate uh, all your time today. Uh, anyone's interested, you can always go check out uh, Fireblocks' website. Uh, they've got a whole bunch of social media things. I think Omar probably, it, do, you, uh, do you reach out and talk to people in public or you, you stay hidden behind the scenes? I'm, a, I'm happy to talk to everyone that uh, is happy to talk to me. And maybe some people that are not very happy to talk to me, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with it. Awesome. Why Wills, this is Fireblocks. We'll talk to you guys next time. YWales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.